Welcome. <laughs> it's good to be on, uh, on the air. That's great. Thanks, Max. Where's he gone? He's gone. Okay. He's been raptured. That's all right. Um, oh, no, he's come back again. He's done a Lazarus. It's okay. It's all right. Thank you, because I, as I said, I, I love to worship God. And when it's good worship, good praise and worship, what it does, and I mentioned this a number of weeks ago, it, it builds a platform. It builds a platform for the word of God to be spoken and because the, the whole idea of a worship team is to bring us into that holy of holies, into the presence of God so that God can speak to us. And that's what we're doing today. And the beauty part about it, as Max mentioned a few moments ago, that curtain that divided everybody from the high priest to everybody else has been split in two. So you now, as a priest can come in to the, uh, to the Holy of Holies. And that's what I love about my heritage, where I've been brought up in the, the, the belief of the priesthood of all believers. We're all allowed to and are welcomed in uh, to that very place. So today I just want to pick up a little bit on a, on a verse that Annie spoke about a few weeks ago about life after the storm. I'm not going to use her sermon, but I want to just add a little bit to it. Uh, not that she didn't do that, but I just want to jump off on that, on that area. Because as uh, Max read, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And you go, well, I've got faith. Well, why is it the Bible saying that you have no faith? Well, well let's look into that. Because I want to talk about visible faith and visible love. Visible faith and visible love. The writer of the Hebrews said that without faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. Jesus also said, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another. They are the two hard ones to kind of deal with because you say, oh, well, well, I love people. Well, do you? Do we, do we really love people? Let's look at that. I read an article this week about the history and the record of about 40 martyrs of Sebaste. Is that the best way to say it, um, Brooke? Sebaste, is that correct? Yeah, I'll go along with you. You're a great teacher. Well, Sebast, Sebaste, French, German, whatever. That was German anyway. They were soldiers who formed the 12th Legion of Rome's Imperial Army about AD 320. And one day the captain informed the troops of the emperor, uh, Licinius, uh, had set down a pronouncement commanding all soldiers, all the soldiers, to offer up a sacrifice to their pagan god. Forty of those soldiers were followers of Jesus. And they refused. And they said this, you can have our armour, even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. You've got to think back in the Roman era of this. Okay, it's not, we're not the 20th century, although we're getting close. The emperor decided to make an example of these soldiers. So in the middle of winter, he marched them out on a frozen lake, stripped them of all their clothes. Renounce your God and you will be spared from death, he yelled out. Not one man came forward. So he left them there, huddled together to contemplate his offer. Throughout the night, the men 
stayed huddled together, singing their song of victory, 40 Martyrs for Christ. And the question that came into my mind is, what would be the song that you would choose if you're in that area? I know my song because I've been thinking about it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Saviour all the day long. That's the song I'd like to believe if I was in that situation. I would want to sing. I really would. And when morning eventually came, 39 of the men had frozen to death. The one survivor finally relented and crawled out to safety, recanting his confession of faith in order to live. Interesting, the officer who was in charge that night had been so moved by the scene that during his watch, he'd come to Jesus. He'd come to faith in Jesus. So he broke rank and walked out onto the ice. Stripping his clothes, he he openly confessed his faith in Jesus. The furious emperor, emperor demanded that he renounce Jesus, but he refused. And when the ordeal was over, the Roman soldiers carried out 40 frozen men from that ice. Folks, to me, that's high visible faith, high visible faith. But does that mean that, that one of us, each of us, or all of us have to go to, to Reedy Lake, strip off our clothes on the worst cold day in, in Kerrang's history and go out into the lake and stay there? Is that what we've got to do? Is that what God demands of us? Uh, I don't think so. No, 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 not at all. It's interesting, going back in 2006, and I have permission to to talk about this, when we went to pastor a church in Darwin, Annie and I had the wonderful privilege of meeting an incredible young couple. And we spent time with them and praying with them. And this young couple who were expecting their first child It was such a joyous time for them until they came to their first ultrasound. All of a sudden, their world was turned absolutely upside down when they were told that their little baby was developing without a crown on her head. They were given two weeks to decide what to do. A beautiful, faith-filled, spirit-filled Christian couple who were faced with the biggest decision of their lives to that point. The doctor advised them to abort. The child would not survive childbirth. Church, can I say that this is when your faith is put on display? It's one of those storms that Annie talked about some weeks ago, some of the storms that we go through. This is the time when you need to take your theology out of the refrigerator of life and put it into living reality. The baby would not survive and the mother was also at risk. And we saw the faith in this young couple grow to extreme, or good extreme. 
as they place their faith into Jesus Christ, their Lord and Saviour. Was it an easy decision for them? No, not at all, not at all. They did terminate the body after many tears and much struggling, particularly with religious people who gave them all sorts of advice and obscure scripture that I want to tell you didn't help at all at the time. Didn't help at all. But we also saw so many people around them grow in their faith incredibly. It was, it was so special, to, to say the least, especially as we gathered together for Elias' funeral. Where they testified of the goodness and the faithfulness of their God, their lives. Something that I will never, ever forget, and I know Annie won't either. Elias means, Elia, sorry, I keep getting that mixed up. Elia, my apologies. Elia means God has answered. God is powerful. Both Andy and I were back in Darwin just two years ago to speak at the opening of their new church and to be the guest speaker at the Baptist Conference. And Annie sat with Alison. And she told Annie how she now had another baby boy, Tobias, who was two and a half at the time, who was born with Down syndrome. He's also beautiful. Alison told Annie how he had been in hospital more than more in his first nine months than he had been at home. She said, We feel so privileged, so privileged to have this precious little boy and we praise God every day for him. Today, Matt and Alison have four precious children. You can see them there. Zechariah, I think they call him Zeke. Abby May, Tobias, and now Joshua. That's right, isn't it? That's right. I'm hopeless, aren't I? Really. Oh, and by the way... Matt, the dad, is now the associate pastor of the church where we pastored. Church, God is so good, so good. But church, what I want to say is that's what I call standing out on a frozen lake and saying, I refuse to renounce my faith in Jesus. They could have very easily done that and said, oh, hang you, God. Look at you have done. They could have turned their back on the church and said, well, you were great support, weren't you? But their faith was grounded in the knowledge that Jesus loved them with an everlasting love that would not let them go regardless of the storm, regardless of the storm. And we see so many Christians today who have got this shallow faith that when the storm comes along, we get shipwrecked. We walk away from the church. Oh, we say, oh, we've got this belief in God, but we walk away from the church where the people gather together to worship God. But not this couple. Not this couple. They love Jesus and refuse to, to denounce him. It's like what Job said after all the bad news that he had had in one day. 
He lost his oxen and, and donkeys and servants. He then had news that his sheep and herdsmen were killed. Then all the camels and servants were taken away from him. And if that wasn't enough, in one day word came to him that all his children had been killed. How would you respond? I, I don't know how I'd respond either. I'd be devastated. Then to top it all off, his wife with her grief, and this is what happens in grief, she said, just, just curse God and die, bro. Wouldn't you love a wife like that? Just curse God and die. But I want to tell you, in our grief, stuff comes out that we, we, we wouldn't expect because of our loss. But Job's response was, he fell to the ground and he worshipped God. He just wanted to worship God. Church, that's high visible faith in action. It's so easy to give advice when you've never walked in their shoes, by the way. I've seen that. Been there. Done that. Matt and Allison walked the journey with God in their grief, which they never denied their grief, and touch other people's lives around them because of that, including Annie's and mine, big time. And I want to say thank you, Matt. Thank you, Allison, for your visible, unwavering faith that is still with you today. And I know they're watching. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, I can understand about having that visible faith, but what about this high visible love that we talk about? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will you, they know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Interesting, isn't it? Then there is the question that rises in so many of our minds is, am I really supposed to love my enemies? Those ones that are always love giving advice and putting me down, do I got to love them as well? The answer to the question, I'm sorry, is yes. And I'm struggling with this like I'm sure that many of you are struggling with too. You know, there's some people that hate my guts. I don't understand that. I'm a lovable person from my perspective. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? But we are. We're supposed to love those who don't love us. In fact, who hate us. Now, I don't know about you, but there sometimes seems absolutely impossible to do that. How in the world can you love someone who doesn't love you? How on earth can you love someone who wants to harm you and tear you down? It's much easier for me to love people who already love me. I know I can't be what Max talked about before, Hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. I don't know how he did that apart from the fact that he's the Son of God. He's Jesus. And he loves us with that everlasting love. I don't have any trouble 
loving my wife, Annie. I don't have any problems. Oh, well, there are times, but, but most times. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> don't go on. Oh, okay. Oh, I've got to say, no, there's nothing about you. <laughs> kind of. Um, like the guy, the guy, the woman says to the husband, but I thought you were going to love me to the day I died. And he said, I didn't realise you were going to live so long. <laughs> but both any of us, we enjoy spending time together. We love spending time together. We love being on our own together. We love people, but we love being on our own together, sharing that love time together. Anne is generally interested in who I am as a person, as I am in her as well. And believe it or not, we're still together after all those years. And I certainly have no trouble loving my three children and their partners and our six grandchildren. I don't have any problem with that at all. They're a part of who I am. Now, there have been times, trouble is more like me, that's the problem. I know that's what you said, didn't you? Five what? Five what? Six, haven't we? Oh, okay. I'll take your word for that. Five grandchildren. That's right. Three boys, two girls. I eventually get there after a while, but, you know, that's why I love Anne so much. (laughs) She keeps me on track. But, you know, even in our family, we have our disagreements. There are times when they don't agree with me and I don't agree with them, but we still love each other. At the end of the day, we still love each other. But Jesus comes along and tosses this spanner into the works by saying that not only are you love those who, who you love us, but we're to love those who don't love us. That's a spanner and a half. Many of us here are saying, you've got to be kidding. How can we do that? <laughs> Late one summer evening, a, a weary truck driver, I guess I did a a funeral of a truck driver this week, and I, probably in my mind, and I saw this and I thought, yeah, I've got to use this. Pulled up in, in his big rig inside all the one night at a truck stop, and the waitress had just served him. And when three tough looking leather jacket motorcyclists of the Hells Angels type decided to, uh, to give him a hard time, not only did they verbally abuse him, but one grabbed the hamburger off his plate and started eating it. Another took a handful of his French fries and did the same. And the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How would you respond? Well, this truck driver responded a little bit differently to what you might expect. Instead, he calmly got up, picked up his bill, walked to the front of the cafe, put the bill and his money on the, on the cash register and went out the door. The waitress followed him to put the money in the bill and stood watching out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikies said, well, not much of a man, is he? She replied, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles on the way out of the parking lot. (laughs) 
Sounds like justice, doesn't it? Justice. When somebody wrongs us, our first instinct is to get back at them. Our first instinct is to make them hurt as much as they hurt us. That's the world's answer. That's the world's answer to being wronged. But we are living in a different kingdom, a different culture to that of the world. And if you were to look, and I'll have it up on the screen, in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says this. Now, the, this is the kingdom that we're living in this world. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, uh, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, uh, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in past time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can you see our kingdom that we're living in today, up there. Society, I'll use the word society, the culture of today. I don't think there's one area up there that our world is not highly into. Not at all. But what about our kingdom? What about the kingdom of God that we are supposed to be living in? which describes what it means to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read it, 5, 22, uh, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That is the culture of the kingdom of God. That's where we as Christians, with faith and this incredible love, should be walking in that area. But Jesus now walks onto the scene and gives, him, gives us this different response. He tells us we are to love our enemies. Love our enemies. And if I was to ask you to put up your hand if you've got an enemy, I know most of us would probably put up our hands, if we're honest. Tim Keller said this, our giving and generosity needs to be so radical that the only plausible explanation that can be given is the gospel. The gospel, good news, hope, joy, peace, and all those, the fruit of the Spirit. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That he gave. Simple as that. And if we are to love, then we are to give. We are to give. That's what I'd call extravagant love. Extravagant love. Christians need to be seen in, in all our areas as extravagant. How we give. How we give of the money that God has already given to us. Pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. And God says, the only problem I have with that, it's usually in their purses, in their wallets. And they refuse to give. We need to be extravagant in our giving. 
We need to be extravagant how we serve. Not just turn up on a Sunday and enjoy the pleasures of life. But as Christians, we are to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How we give of our time. Well, I haven't got the time for church. I've got too much on my plate. Of our talents. I love, and please hear me when I say this, guys and others who are in the worship team, I am so blessed by you guys. The way you give of your time and your talent and everything else as well. I am I'm absolutely blessed by that because sometimes you're going to church and, oh, no, I don't want to do it this week. No, I've got plenty to do. No, I don't think I'll do it this week. These guys are consistently week after week, week after week. And you can join that team. You can join that team. And the singers too, please. That's the worship team. And I mean that. But most importantly, we need to be extravagant in our love, not only for those around us, but for one another. You know, there's probably some people who are going, oh, I don't know if I can love Arthur up there. He's a, he's a real estate agent. I can't trust him. And Lee over here, my goodness, don't go to him. My goodness, my computer's gone up the putt since I brought my car to you. I don't like you anymore. You know what I'm talking about? There are things in our lives, and, and you're saying the same to me. I'm not Paul Downey again. Here we go. <laughs> you know, all that type of stuff. And we, we turn our attention aside instead of saying, out of grace and love, I appreciate each other. I love one another. You know, I've really been touched by the life of Corrie Ten Boone. I don't know about you, but... If you've read her stuff, it's quite remarkable. And she says this when she had an encounter with one of her ex-prison guards. And I want to read it to you because I, I, it's so important. It says, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre of Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. Suddenly I was confronted with this ex-SS guard. It was all there, the room full of mocking men came back, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain, blenched face. That was her sister, for those of you who don't know. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am your message for a line, he said. I think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hands was thrust out to shake mine. To think that I had preached so often to the people in Bloemdahl, the need to forgive. I kept my hand at my side. Even as the anger, the vengeance, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. As I was going to ask for more, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth of love. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. 
From my shoulders along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Incredibly, I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command to love, its, to love itself. You know, Corrie Tinburn's amazing life and, and journey reminds us still today how to live strong, how to live strong and to, to love well through the hopes and freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Church, we need to press in that rich wisdom moving forward with the same forgiving, inspiring spirit that typified this courageous lady. In her very own words, she was able to say, we have nothing to fear because Jesus is victor and he will never let us down. With Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains and the very best is yet to be. Oh, can you... Can you Grasp hold of the inspiration of that from a lady who had been through so much. You know, we talk about revival. But unless we are prepared to live high-risk radical faith and high-risk radical love, the church will continue to see people drift in and out and worse still, become irrelevant to the world around us. Church, it's time to get radical. Can I say that again? It's time to get radical. Faith connects you to the realm of authority. We are born to invade the impossible. And with God, nothing is impossible. KBC, I believe that God would say unto us, and I just felt this was a little bit prophetic as I was putting this together this week. But I believe he would sound to us that he is wanting us to move in realms that we have never been before. As we operate in the realm of what appears to be impossible, Jesus says, I will make it possible. You will see people coming into the building that you thought would never enter any of the doors of any church, including ours. But I'm going to bring them in. Your radical generosity to show love will draw people out of a culture that is destructive into a place of love and security. Your radical faith will tap you into the realm that will connect you to a new authority. You will start to see radical changes in your life, plus you will see it take place in the lives of people around you, and the only answer will be the gospel. It's time to arise. It's time to be radical in Jesus. It's time to allow the spirit of the living God to be released to do what the Father God has sent him to do, and that is to set people free. It's time for the Holy Spirit to empower us to be radical Christians with faith that will move mountains. Faith that will say to the blind person, open your eyes. It's time to say to the sick person, rise up, get up and walk. To be able to say to the demonic-filled person, go in the name of Jesus and see them set free. To start loving the unlovable, to love those denominations that may not worship as we do. 
to love the person that disagrees with me at some meeting. Why? Because that is what Jesus would do. And that is what the requires of those who would radically follow him or claim him and follow him. I was listening to, as I finish, I was listening to Bronwyn Bishop addressing violence in schools on Friday night. Football got boring, so I switched over. And um, I was impressed by what she said. Speaking to probably millions, I don't know, of, of Fox News people about how we're becoming a socialist country. That the problem that we are living with, with women being abused in parliament and other workplaces, and I'm trying to quote her, plus children being sexually assaulted, stems from the home and the breakdown of family values. Do you say amen to that? I do. I do. It's interesting, but I believe that the state of the family reflects the state of the country. And the state of the country is breaking apart. Because we're not developing our families. We're expecting the Christian school to do our work. We're expecting the church to do what we should be doing in the home. Does that mean all our children are going to follow in our steps? No, it doesn't. But I'm talking about values here. The values that we are putting up in the home. Don't let the schools tell us what to do. Don't let the government tell us what to do. I know I can get in trouble for that, but I don't care. Because I'm a, I'm a total believer in the values that are set down before us in the Word of God of how to train up a child in the ways of God. And at the end, they will not depart from it. I was speaking to a, a man just this past week who's not a Christian, doesn't go to church, and he shared how even though he's even though he and his wife have split up, he said we're still parenting and we're bringing in the values that we believe in. And he said none of our kids are on drugs. None of our kids get drunk. None of our kids go out whatever, whatever's. He said because of the values that we've placed into their lives. That's family. That's family. Even when things don't go the way we would like them to go. Oh, church, it's time for us to show the way with radical faith and radical love. Then and only then will others know that we belong to Jesus. Church, don't allow this just to say, oh, that's another good sermon, Pastor Paul. Thank you so much. And then go out that door and talk about everything else, about what about my life? Where do I sit with this? Where do I stand with that? And I wonder this morning who's prepared to stand before God and say, I want to be radical for you. And I don't care if you're 80, 93 years of age. To the youngest, little Josh here, are you prepared to live a radical lifestyle for Jesus? Now, I'm not going to make an altar call this morning. I'm going to put that aside. Because I know it's so easy to have the pack mentality, oh, he, he's going to go better. I don't want that. Neither does God. 
But in your heart of hearts this morning, are you prepared to say, Jesus, I want to be that radical follower? I want to follow you regardless. And if I get the opportunity this week of sharing something of my life, because the Bible says it's by your word of your testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. You know, even though Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he's saying, you are the gospel. You are the gospel. And so what I need to do is I've had to do in recent times is say, Paul, what about your life? How radical are you? Are you prepared to stand up for Jesus in a time when you're out on the frozen lake? Let's pray. I wonder in this moment, I'm just going to give you a moment of quietness as the worship team make their way up onto the, onto the stage. But I want to allow this few moments for you to say, yes, Lord, that's what I want. And it'll take change. And you've heard me say before from this pulpit, change doesn't become change until you change. What's the song that you would sing if you're in that situation? Song of victory. Am I prepared to be a radical person? And I'm not talking about extremists. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about. Being radical for Jesus. Being radical in my faith. Being radical in my love and Maybe there's someone even here today that you know that you're not in good sorts with somebody and it's time to break that and to bring the love of Jesus in. Father, into your hands I commit my life, my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.